Well, to quickly review the big idea of this series, God wants to grow some things in you and in your life and in your faith. And while we so often think that what God wants to grow are habits, you know, what we're saying in this series is that spiritual habits aren't the goal. Spiritual habits are the tools that God wants to use to grow us and to grow our faith. Um, so what God actually wants to grow us is our trust in Him, our dependence on Him, our awareness of Him and His presence and activity in our lives. He wants to grow our hearts to become more like His hearts where we care about what He cares about. He wants to grow our minds like His minds where our thoughts are His thoughts. And he wants to grow our love to be like His love where we love the way He loves. And at least part of what God does to grow those things is God will use spiritual habits that add to our lives and add to our faith to grow what He desires to grow in us. Which is, And He'll use the tools of a Bible habit, a prayer habit, a generosity habit, and a worship habit that each add to our lives in unique and powerful ways and each help to grow the things that God wants to grow in our lives. And today, on the other side of the growth equation is we have habits of subtraction. So to get us in a subtraction mindset, let's play a little bit of mathletes or math Olympics or math speed round or whatever you called it in your school as a student. Let's start easy. 45 minus 15 is... 30. If you got that right, congratulations. If, you, if, you're, if you're guessing them before, I want to encourage you to put them in the comments section. Hit us with the comments. Hit us with your answers, even if it's wrong. And the amazing thing about Facebook and YouTube, if it's wrong, I don't think you can actually delete it, but we'll find out, okay? Second problem, 112 minus 33. 112 subtract 33. The answer is 79. Congratulations if you got that one right. If you're, if you're just playing along and watching to wait and see if I get it right, I have the answers in front of me. I'm going to get it right. I want to find out if you can get it right, okay? Then all right, just like last week, we changed the equation to solve for x. 64 minus x equals 35. Solve for x. And x equals 29. If you got that right, congratulations. One more. 107 subtract x equals 34. And the answer is X equals 73. All right. Now, let me tell you what's probably true of this week compared to last week. Chances are you were a little bit quicker on each and every problem last week than you were on the corresponding equations this week. That's because it's a scientifically researched fact that our minds add much more quickly and easily than our minds subtract. But in fact, the University of Virginia School of Engineering and Applied Sciences studied this. They said... Their conclusion was that additive ideas come to mind quickly and easily, but subtractive ideas require more cognitive effort because people are often moving fast and working with the first ideas that come to mind. They end up accepting additive solutions without considering subtraction at all. And the translation for our purposes is simply this. When it comes to growing spiritually, we are far more likely to think we'll grow by adding something to our lives than we are to think God will grow us by subtracting, which is why the things that we talked about last week may have actually felt like a big review of ideas and thoughts and habits that you've heard a lot about before in church settings because we so naturally move towards adding things and why the habits that we're going to talk about today may sound really new and potentially very challenging because we so quickly go to addition and go to additive habits 
we very rarely get to the subtractive habits. We go to the, the additional habits easily, adding through Bible reading, adding through prayer, adding through generosity, adding through worship. And we so rarely go to the subtractive habits that we're going to talk about today. It's potentially going to be potentially new and potentially very challenging. And that's part of what makes today potentially very life-changing because because everyone naturally thinks in terms of addition, it means the habits that we're going to talk about today that subtract are relatively untapped territory because it's so rare that people actually move in these directions. But in the untapped potential of these habits, there is tremendous power and potential to change us and transform our lives. So today, let's talk about the four habits of subtraction. And the four habits of subtraction are a fasting habit, a Sabbath habit, a silence and solitude habit, and a self-examination habit. Let's start by talking about fasting. If you're not familiar with the term fasting, fasting is choosing to give up something I want temporarily to pursue something I want ultimately. It's choosing to give up something I want temporarily in order to pursue something that I want ultimately. Now traditionally, and this is the way we're going to talk about it for most of today, but traditionally fasting was considered giving up a food or certain foods for a period of time to devote time and attention to God in prayer. But food is not the only option. You can fast from social media. You can fast from media or TV or movies or entertainment. You can fast from all of them. For some of us, let's be honest, we probably need to take a fast from football. We'll do that when the season's over, right? We do that every you know, six months out of the year. Um, maybe it's a fast from caffeine or coffee or soda. But here's why we might choose to fast and what happens as we fast. According to Jesus, in the, at the end of his 40 days of fasting, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus went into the wilderness, and we're going to read the passage where it actually tells us that he did that in just a little bit. But after 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, in a, de- in a desert place, in a desolate place, in a quiet, you know, isolated place, after 40 days of removing himself and subtracting food and water and, and, and fr- from his life, Jesus is tempted by the devil, and here's his. He's, you know, the devil says, "You can turn these stones into bread. You can turn the stones into bread. Just do it. Your power allows you to do that." In Matthew chapter four, verse four. Jesus answered, "It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God." And he's, he's, so Jesus modeled fasting, and he said, "Here's what happens when you when, when I fast." I don't rely on bread. I rely on God. I'm reminded of my dependence on God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18, Jesus said this, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here's what we see. Jesus practiced fasting. He began his public ministry with a time of fasting and prayer for 40 days. Now, I'm not going to tell anyone that they should do a 40 days of prayer and fasting. No one should. I, 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 I don't know that anyone physically should. I don't know that that like, but that's what Jesus did. Jesus practiced fasting and Jesus expected fasting as part of the spiritual life of his followers. If you notice in that passage, Jesus didn't say, if you fast, he said, when you fast. And the reason Jesus knew they should fast and Jesus expected them to fast is found in that verse in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Man must not live on bread alone. Man must not live 
on food alone. When we take away this thing that we so often find ourselves physically relying on of food, or you know, if it's burritos, if it's breakfast burritos, if it's tortillas, if it's you know, whatever it is that you love to eat, that you rely on, if it's taking away your caf your morning coffee, your caffeine, you decide to fast from that thing that you've come to rely on. If you take away the, the, the soda that you've come to drink in the middle of the day, the five-hour energy, so you get when you get that two o'clock feeling, you know, all that stuff. When you take away that thing that you physically have come to rely on, what you find is that you no longer rely on that thing. You find out how much you actually rely on your heavenly father. It develops, it, it reminds us of our dependence on God. And when we remove the food from the equation or remove whatever it is that we've come to depend on from the equation, we find that we can live and sustain ourselves from God because God is the ultimate sustainer of our lives. And as we do this, again, we don't just fast to have a habit of fasting. We remove something so we actually can spend that time and energy in prayer. So we can spend that time and energy in prayer. And as we do that, as we, re as we replace food with prayer, as we, you know, one meal a week or one day a week, replace you know, a meal or a, or a day a week and spend the time that we would be cooking and eating the meal with prayer, what we find is, is, that, is that fasting does a few things, that fasting develops a hunger for God. That, that, that when we start, we may go, man, I'm really hungry for a burrito. But when we fast regularly, we find ourselves wanting more of God, a hunger for God. It, it, fasting sharpens our focus on God. You're like, wait, wait, when I take away food, I don't get sharper. I'm telling you, when you decide to, 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 to take food out of the equation for a meal or for a day and you exchange it with, with, with prayer to God, your focus sharpens on God. Your focus sharpens on God. You're, you, we, we, fasting helps us to humble ourselves before God, that we find ourselves in a place where we completely rely and completely depend on him and we realize how weak we are in ourselves but how strong he is on our behalf and fasting helps us to prepare ourselves for ministry opportunities that come from God or prepare to see, be sent by God in, in, in Jesus' ministry. When you see Jesus begin, he began his public ministry not in public but he began his public ministry by spending 40 days in prayer and fasting before his heavenly father. He wanted to make sure that he was prepared and he regularly had times of prayer and fasting where he would, where in, in order to, to see and experience what God wanted to experience through his ministry, he needed to be prepared for it. And fasting does all of that. that. That what we can't do in our own strength, we can't develop our own hunger for God, but fasting with our heavenly father, it does that. We don't necessarily in our own strengths sharpen our focus, but God sharpens our focus through the habit of fasting. We don't humble ourselves before God very often, but fasting reminds us how weak we are and it humbles ourselves before God. And it prepares us for ministry to be sent by God. And as we remove from our lives the thing that our bodies seemingly depend on, what we find and so often remind ourselves of is the fact that we depend on God first and foremost. So for some of you today, you may need to develop a habit of fasting. What does that look like? I don't know what that looks like for you. I would recommend starting small. Some of you physically, you absolutely should not fast from food. Some of you absolutely should not fast from food, but it's possible that you could fast from coffee or that you could fast from soda. Some of you, you have some actual you know, real health issues where fasting completely should not be a thing for you. But for some of you, Food is, 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 the, is the way to start that you begin this, this discipline by fasting one meal once a week and you spend that time 
in prayer. You're like, can I do that at the workplace? Can I fast lunch and, and pray in my workplace? Do you have a door in, in an office that you can shut? You can do that, okay? Maybe it, as it grows, it becomes the, a day, an entire day that you fast. And I'm just telling you, for some of you, there's some things that God will do in your life as you, as you subtract food from the equation, one meal a week or maybe one day a week, where you begin to experience exactly what we just talked about, that you develop a hunger for God that you've never had before, a focus on God that you've never had before, where you find yourself thinking about God more than you've ever had before because you're, you've sharpened your focus on the things of God, where you find yourself humble in a way that you've never been before because you realize how weak we are and how strong God is and you're prepared for ministry opportunities that come on a, on a daily basis because you are attuned to the things of God. It happens as you develop a, ha- a habit of fasting. Let me talk about the second one. The second one is a self-examination habit. And a habit of self-examination is just about as obvious as it sounds. It's the habit of examining ourselves emotionally, spiritually, relationally, motivationally, and physically to make sure that to the best of our abilities and our knowledge, our whole lives are honoring to God. And anything that is not honoring to God gets subtracted and removed to the best of our abilities. So this is where we look at our lives, and I'm going to give you three things that I, that I think should guide our self-examination. If it's not honoring to God, I don't want it present in me. If it's not healthy toward others, I don't want it coming from me. And if it draws me away from God, I don't want it working in me. Let me just go really quickly through those three things. If it's not honoring to God, I don't want it present in my life. If there's something in my emotions, in my reactions, in my relationships, in my spiritual life where it's not honoring to God... I don't want it to be present in my life. So I look at my life, and if there's anything in me that's not honoring to God, I, to the best of my abilities, I push that out. I work to subtract it and remove it from my life. If it's not healthy toward others, God wants me to have positive, healthy relationships with others where I, I not only honor other, honor God, but I honor God by honoring, one, by, by honoring and loving one another. So if I have something in my relationships with other people that is not healthy, coming from me towards others, I don't want it coming from me. So I work to remove those things from my life as well. And if, it's draw, if it draws me away from God, I don't want it working in me, whether that's a relationship thing, whether that's a spiritual thing that I, where my, where I'm spiritually paying attention to things that are not from God and it moving me in a direction away from God. I simply don't want it at work in me. And so I do the examination to make sure that I stay focused completely on it, living a God-honoring life. And I remove anything from my life that doesn't honor God, that doesn't build healthy relationships, that healthy, loving relationships with other people. And if there's anything that draws me away from God, I remove it from my life. And this echoes the heart of David in Psalm chapter 139, where he wrote this, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. This is simply us before God and and being being self-aware and spirit-aware enough to look at our lives and allow God access to our lives to say, God, is there any unclean way in me? Is there any un- any unhealthy way in me? Is there any unhonoring way in me? Is there any way where I'm pursuing things that are spiritual that are not of you? If it's not from you and it's not of you, I don't want it in my life. So I want so I'm willing to remove 
anything and everything that gets in the way of my relationship with you, that gets in the way of me honoring and loving one, uh, one another because of the love that comes from you. And if there's anything that just keeps drawing, drawing me and pulling away, like I'm willing to remove it and subtract it from my life because I want to be so focused on honoring God and building healthy relationships. And so here, here, here's what this looks like. This can come from, come, come from the perspective of God. Are there, are there any of these in me? Like, are, are there any relational patterns that are unhealthy, where, where in the way I relate to you or in the way I relate to others, it's just unhealthy. And God, if there are any, would you help me to figure out, have wisdom to know what I'm supposed to do with it? And God, have the, the, the courage and, and, and the backbone to actually do something about it. God, are there any unhealthy personal habits in my life? Things where because of what I'm doing personally, I'm not able to do the things that you want me to do, or I, I, I lack the integrity to do things. Are there any unhealthy personal habits? God, are there any, is there any destructive thinking in me where because of the, 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 the thought habits that I have you know, absorbed and that I've made you know, the habits of my life, God, are there any things that just where the thoughts that are within me are actually working against me? And here's the thing. You know why you don't ask those questions. You, you don't ask those questions, and none of us want to ask those questions because we already know the answer, right? And we think by not asking the question that that stuff doesn't hurt us. But a lack of acknowledgement is the way to guarantee it keeps hurting you. It keeps your life from honoring God the way God wants your life to honor him. It keeps your, your relationships from being healthy and loving the way that God wants your relationships to be healthy and loving. It keeps pulling you away from God because you won't acknowledge that it's pulling you away from God. You and every single one of us, we should develop a habit of self-examination, where we do this with God from time to time as a habit. It's painful, right? Because you're going to have to acknowledge some things that are true. If you do this right, you're going to have to acknowledge some things that are true about you that you don't want to acknowledge are true about you. You're going to have to acknowledge that the reason some things keep happening in your life is stuff that comes from you. It's painful. It's terrible, and it's painful and it's terrible right until the moment where you find the freedom that's found within this practice. When you actually acknowledge what needs to be acknowledged and you change what needs to be changed and you allow God to transform what needs to be transformed so that your life does fully honor him, so that your relationships are healthy as they flow from him and so that nothing else pulls you away from God when you want to stay connected to God. It's painful and it's terrible until it's not. And the second it's not is when you find freedom and peace and life and health that flows from your heavenly father that flows out of the practice of self-examination. So God wants to maybe subtract some things from our lives through, through, through a habit of, of, of fasting, through a habit of self-examination. He wants to uh, so maybe subtract some, some things from our life through a Sabbath habit. And a Sabbath habit is the intentional habit of ceasing from striving. This was actually really interesting to me as I was studying the last few weeks. God gave the Israelites a command to obey my, observe and obey my Sabbaths. Not just a Sabbath, not just a day of rest for people, but that God had built in a cycle of work and a cycle of stopping work for all of creation. There was meant to be a Sabbath for the land, a Sabbath for animals, a Sabbath where every so often everything stops producing so that it can rest and be refreshed. With my personality, and maybe with your personality, I am quick to go back to Genesis and notice that God created humanity. And when everything was perfect, he gave humanity a job. Like work is not a curse of the fall. Work is good. And we were created to work and to accomplish. 
So we were created to work and to accomplish, but we weren't just created for work and accomplish. So God built in the habit of Sabbath for the life of the people of Israel so that while they were working, they would remember they were created for more than work. And as they developed and lived out a habit of rest, a true Sabbath, they would be reminded on a weekly basis that they were made for more than work, but they were made for a relationship with God, made to be sustained by God, made to be fulfilled by God. And that when they stopped working, here's what was so amazing with that flowed out of the life of the nation of Israel. As they stopped working, they would see God still fulfill every need they had because God can do more in our rest than we can accomplish with our work. God can do more with our six than we can accomplish with our seven. Here's the command from Exodus 31. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest holy to the Lord. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. See, when you practice a Sabbath, here's what you will discover. Man does not live on work and accomplishments alone. Man does not live on work and accomplishments alone. Man relies on our heavenly Father, to do more with our rest as we obey and honor him and his command to rest, to experience his rest and refreshing. As we do that, God meets us in our rest and does more with our rest than we can accomplish with our work. He does more with our six than we can accomplish with our seven. And as we remind, as we as we take the this habit of Sabbath, this weekly habit to rest and relax, and to be refreshed by God, we remind ourselves that man does not live on work and accomplishments alone. I remember the first time in my life where I chose this. I I was a college junior, and like I said, I like work. So I was in the middle of my third consecutive semester of 18 plus credits a a, a semester, working 15 to 18 hours a week, serving as a discipleship leader for my dorm floor, and interning at my church. I was incredibly busy Monday through Friday. Sunday was a day for a lot of church stuff. And Saturday has, had always been my day to catch up on all the work that I wasn't able to squeeze into the other days of the work. But I was wearing thin. And I was challenged by a mentor of mine that I needed to set aside a day of rest. And I knew the only day that made sense was Saturday because it was the only day I didn't have class, work, or church. And it was hard. Like it was a discipline-y slog at the start. Like I had to work much harder during the week and spend my time between Sunday morning church and Sunday night small group doing homework. But it meant I had Saturday as a day of rest and recreation, or as I called it, rest and recreation. And once I started that, I never let it go because it became life to me. And amazingly, what I thought would happen is that my grades would suffer because I was, you know, putting all of it into the, like, and my grades never suffered. Graduated close to a 4.0. I was rested and I was more engaged in Sundays at church, which mattered the most to me. And so God's ability to do more as I trusted him enough to rest in him. And I'm telling you, for some of you listening today, you need a Sabbath. You need a Sabbath. And you think you don't have time to set a day of rest. And I'm telling you, Your life doesn't have time for you not to have a time of Sabbath. Because if you don't create and carve out a Sabbath, here's the two things that'll happen. You'll burn out. You will. If we don't find a place of rest and find a regular place of rest and recreation, you will burn out. And you may not even feel it as burnout, but you will wake up 20, you know, 10 years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, and you will have found yourself 
been on autopilot for the last five years of life because you never found a place of rest and recreation that allowed you to be fully alive. You'll burn out and you may not even realize that you're actually burning out because it's become the normal pace of our lives. And number one, if you don't find a place of Sabbath, you will burn out. But number two is you'll miss out. And the thing, what I mean when I say you'll miss out is you will miss out on seeing what God can do when you trust him more than you trust your own ability to work and to create and to accomplish and to achieve. Again, so many of us, we are so hell-bent on work, hell-bent on accomplishment, hell-bent on, I've got to always stay busy doing something because I need to show something for my time. And so if, if, you, if, if you don't develop this habit of Sabbath, you will miss out You'll burn out, but you'll miss out on what God wants to show you of his strength, of what he can do with your six instead of your seven. That what he can do with your six is better than what you can do with your seven. That what he can do with your rest is better than what you can do with your work. It's stronger. It's more lasting. You'll burn out, and more importantly, you'll miss out on what God really wants to accomplish and show you about his strength. So God wants to develop some habits that subtract when I say this, the Sabbath is a habit of subtraction, it means that we take a day and we devote it to rest and recreation in God. We allow God to refresh us. We allow God to re-engage us. We allow God to open our eyes as we close our eyes in, in rest. We allow God to, to do what, what only He can do as we decide that we're not going to do anything. But as we decide that we're going to take some time to let God rest and we're going to subtract some time that we could be working, we're going to find that God deepens our, de- our dependence and our trust in Him because we know and remember that He can be trusted to do more than we could ever do with all of our work. And the final habit that I want to talk about today is the habit of silence and solitude. See, silence and solitude as a habit is simply the withdrawal of ourselves from noise, from activity, from distractions, from routine, and from other people in order to experience the presence of God in isolation and free of distraction. It's the finding of a quiet, peaceful, restful place of isolation in order to focus our attention and devotion on God. There's this word that's used a lot in, in, in times where Jesus is being described. And the, the Greek word is this word eremos. eremos. And in the word eremos, a lot of times when it describes Jesus... It says Jesus went off into the wilderness. Jesus went off into the desert. Jesus went off into these places. Jesus went to these places. And that, and that is one way to, to, to define the, that word, that he went off into the wilderness, he went off to the desert. Another translation would be that he went to the wilderness, the desert, a desolate place, a solitary place, or a quiet place. Matter of fact, when, when it describes Jesus in these ways, there's numerous, like tons and tons of these descriptions of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus goes on his time of prayer and fasting, it says this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, or Eremos, to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, which you would be and I would be too. But it's interesting that we picture here, he went often into the wilderness, went often into the desert. In ancient Israel, it's so easy to picture desert. But maybe, just maybe, Jesus didn't actually go off into a desert, but Jesus went to his normal place of prayer that was away from everyone else. And in the middle of that, he faced temptation. Mark chapter one, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, or Eremos, and there he was praying. Again, Jesus, this is so fascinating. Jesus went 40 days of prayer and fasting. 
He came back, did a day of ministry, and the next day he woke up early in the morning while it was still dark. He got up, he went out, and he made his way to a quiet, solitary place. And there he was praying. Mark chapter 6, the apostles gathered around Jesus. Jesus had just sent them out for a time of ministry. They gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place, Eremos, and rest for a while. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. They went to a solitary, quiet place to find the rest that they needed for their souls. Jesus practiced silence and solitude, and Jesus led his followers into stretches of silence and solitude. In a world that is so loud and noisy, so full of distractions, so full of activity, where so many different people have so much access to our lives, this is an incredibly valuable habit of occasional subtraction. Because if we're honest, We all know the world around us is loud and noisy and distracting, but I don't think many of us spend time thinking about how often or how how often we come to rely on the noise and distraction and activity and other people to meet some need and fill some void in our lives. We need, some of us, we need the noise so we don't start to feel things we don't want to feel. Like you, like, like whatever, like you have your version, whether it's music, whether it's a show on in the background, whether it's something going on in the kitchen, we need the noise so we don't start to feel things we don't want to feel. You have your own version of white noise that lives eternally in your home, in your apartment, in your office, in your workplace, because the moment it gets quiet, you start to feel some stuff that you don't really want to feel. And so you need the noise. We need the constant superficial activity because otherwise we may notice that our lives are empty of things that actually matter. So you fill your life with activity, 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 all because you don't want to notice how much the life has become empty of things that matter the most. We need to have some people, even if they're not the right people, around us all the time so that we don't ever feel lonely. We need it. And if we're honest, some of you, you're listening today, and the suggestion of silence and solitude, it sounds impossible or terrifying because you can't sit still. You don't know if you can exist in quiet. The thought of being alone, it sends chills down your spine. You're like, it's spooky season and all of the ghosts and all of the costumes and all of the spooky music in the world, that doesn't scare me as much as the thought of sitting still, the thought of being quiet, or the thought of being alone. And I'll say this incredibly gently as your pastor. If I just described you, you need this habit more than you possibly know. For one, because unfortunately, you have come to depend on something that is not God to fill and meet some deep emotional needs in your life, and they cannot last, and they cannot support the weight of your life. And this discipline or habit, it will return and reestablish your dependence to its rightful place in and on your heavenly Father. That man does not live on noise, distraction, and socialization alone, but it returns us to the place where we remember that we depend on our Heavenly Father. And it's a discipline at first. And if you're like, I need the noise, when you quiet yourself for five minutes, you're going to drive yourself crazy at first. When you, If you constantly need to be surrounded by people, you will find yourself like absolutely terrified at the process of being alone when you decide to choose it for the first hour. When you go away by yourself for a half a day, you will feel miserable. And that's why it's a discipline. But as you see it work, it becomes a desire. And as, you, as, as it continues to work in you, it becomes something that you look forward to as the delight of your life and you don't want to live without. 
that you actually find yourself regularly seeking out silence and solitude because it reminds you how much you truly rely on the only one who can actually support and sustain the weight of your life, which is your heavenly Father. The second reason is simply this. The second reason you need silence and solitude is I don't think many of us spend a lot of time thinking about what that noise and distraction does to our mind, our heart, and our connection with God. And I said this last week that God is always speaking. The question is whether or not we're truly listening. And in regard to the noise and distraction and activity of life, here's the real question. If God was speaking, could you hear him above the noise and distraction and activity and other voices that are so prevalent in your life? Like, like it's not even like that. Like you're trying to listen. You're like, I want to listen for God. I say I want to listen to God. Well, you've got so much noise and so much distraction and so much activity and so many other voices that are screaming for your attention that, that in the middle of all that, when God is speaking and you say you want to listen, it may be possible that you can't truly listen or truly hear because there is so much distraction and so many things that are distracting you from hearing the voice of God. And I'm going to speak to someone today, and I don't know who this is. I don't know, but I felt like God told me this so that I could help someone else today. One of the greatest benefits of solitude is that it will eventually set you free from your dependence on people. See, some of you, you can't really love people because you're currently so dependent on people. You are so worried about pleasing people so they'll support you, so they'll stick by you. You're so worried about pleasing people that there are times that you can't or you won't act or speak in love when you need to act or speak in love. And when you break free from your dependence on people, and remember that you depend on God, you'll become better at actually loving people. And so a habit of silence and solitude, the silence part may be easier than the solitude part to to find and develop where you just take, you know, 30 minutes a day and it's just quiet and you're just listening to God or it's quiet while you read the word of God or it's quiet and you spend some time in prayer. It's just quiet. You don't actually, you intentionally don't have worship music playing in the background. You just let it be quiet. The solitude may be where in, in, in the habit of everyday, of, of, of weekly life or monthly life, maybe this is a monthly thing, you just get some alone time with you and God. Now, if you've got small children, this is probably harder for you than it is for a lot of other people. I've got small children. This is a difficult thing in my life to find some alone time, some quiet time where I'm not quiet before a TV that's on. I'm not quiet before a football game that's on. I'm not quiet, quiet myself, but there's music in the car but I'm actually intentionally getting away to somewhere where it's quiet and it's solitary and there's no one else around and I can just be with God and hear from him and allow him to focus me and allow him to have a voice in my life that he may not have if I surround my my ears and my eyes with so many distractions that I miss what he wants to do and I miss what he wants to say. So you take some time. It could be an hour. It could be two hours. It could be an afternoon once a month. But you just find some time where it's quiet and it's solitary. It's quiet and it's alone. So it's just you and God where he can speak to you and point out and point the way whatever he wants to do in your life. See, the amazing thing about these subtraction habits, this is kind of the last thought for the series. The addition habits, it's so easy to see like, okay, well, God adds to our knowledge of him and our awareness of him through his word. And God adds to our, you know, like he, he's, he's adding to our life through our prayer. We get to know him 
in a, in, a, in, a, in a deeper way and maybe a, a wider way. And we see uh, from a broader perspective and all that kind of stuff. And when we're generous, we care about what God cares about. And there's some things that maybe I care about, but I care about more things because God cares about those things. And, you know, when I worship, I'm reminded of, of how God has worked in my life and all these things. And it's so easy to see that in our lives. But what is it that God's ultimately up to through this subtraction habits? What happens in these subtraction habits, in the subtraction habits, subtraction habits remove with so they can add depth to our lives. Subtraction habits remove the width so we can add depth, so that God can add depth to our life and to our faith. It stops us from doing so much, from going so broad and so wide, but it allows God to deepen our faith and and, and depend on Him in deeper and more profound ways. This is why we need these subtraction habits. This is why we need habits that, that of, of, regular, of regular Sabbath. This is why we need a habit of regular silence and solitude, that where we remove the noise and distractions. We go a lot less wide, but we go a lot more deep with our Heavenly Father. This is why we need the Sabbath habit where we don't just keep going work, 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 wider, 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 but we allow ourselves to rest so that God can deepen our faith and trust in Him. This is why we need habit... Of, of, of self-examination. So instead of just spreading my life so thin and so thin and so wide and so wide, we allow God to do the deep work of examining our hearts, examining our emotions, examining our spiritual life, examining our relationships to find true health that only comes from Him. And this is why we need a fasting habit. So instead of continuing to feed ourselves from more and more and more food, we remind ourselves that we truly rely on our God. God will deepen our lives as we embrace these habits that feel like subtraction, feel like pulling away, pulling, pulling things out. But in doing so, God will not, will, 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 will not leave us alone. He will deepen our faith. He will deepen our dependence. He'll deepen our understanding. He'll deepen our ability to hear him in the moments where he's speaking loudly and in the moments where he's speaking really softly. He will deepen our lives and deepen our faith and trust in him. And that's what God wants for you as we embrace the simple mathematics of spiritual growth. And I hope you'll join me in these processes. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy for us. Thank you that you are good and that what you want for our lives is good growth in our awareness of you, in our trust in you, in our dependence on you, in our minds, in our hearts, and our love becoming more like yours. And so God, I pray that you would do that in our lives. And God, I pray that you would do it as we embrace the habits that grow us. And God, as, as these habits don't come naturally as the, as the, as the Bible reading prayer and, and giving and worship, as, as those things maybe come a little bit more easily and a little more naturally, God, I know there's real fruit found in these habits, in the habits of Sabbath, in the habits of fasting, in the habits of silence and solitude, in the habits of self-examination. I thank you that there's real, lasting, deep work that you want to do in and through our lives as we embrace these habits. So God, would you help us to have the wisdom to know where to start, which one of these to pick up as we begin? God, we may not pick up all of these right away, but God, give us wisdom to know where to start. And God, would you give us the courage to actually do it when it's scary, when it's difficult, when we really don't want to because we're afraid that we may lose out and miss out on something by choosing to rest, by choosing to give up a meal, by choosing to spend some time in solitude and silence. God, would you help us to have the courage to trust you enough to keep going. And God, I thank you for what you're going to do and what you're going to grow in us as we embrace your simple mathematics of spiritual growth. God, we love you. Help us to follow you. Help us to grow to become more like you. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.